Ladies, gentlemen, sickos, normies, welcome back to episode 55 of the Landy Lodge. But as always, before we roll into it, we got some sick motherfuckers we need to thank. Want to say a thank you to those who support to the Lodge monthly and keep us fueled, keep us going. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you to Alex Pamal of All Nerds Welcome. Of David Freeze of Brown Sugar and the Blind Albinos. Chris Perkowski of ChargingTheMound.com. Scott Castellano of TheEndOfTheBench.com. Maria Palmieri, my mother and father, of course. Charlotte Astry, the always lovely Charlotte Astry. Daniel Muller, Shane Thomas Driscoll. Andrew Clay of Brown Sugar and the Blind Albinos. And at last, Roger Kep. Thank you to each and every one of you. Today, I have the joy of bringing you Elise Weber. Hello. What, what's going on, Elise? Nice. I'm nice to see you, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Uh, we'll stop giving them a little ear beating. We'll let this episode roll. You're going to get a quick tune from Akira the Don, and we will be on our way. Oh, that was something you forgot. See, everybody's forgotten something. You left it out. Just missed it. See? See? And so I can bring this out, what you've forgotten, if I ask you, who are you? Well, you say I'm Paul Jones or whatever your name happens to be. I say, oh, no, 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 don't give me that stuff. Who are you really? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Spoken word, you know, spoken word doesn't get all you right all right, let me count this down, and then we're going to go in five, four, three, two, one. And we're live. Elise, what's up? Hey, Nick. How Hi. was your ride in? Pretty great. I mean, I stopped at Starbucks. It was a pretty long wait on the drive through line, you know. Well, there was a puppuccino thing going on. Oh, my goodness. Puppet- this is 2020. We do, puppuc- <laughs> we do puppuccinos now. And just the fact you're on Long Island, it kind of like adds to the... Um, you know, the whole luxury experience of living. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, if puppuccinos are going to be a thing anywhere, it was either going to be Long Island or San Francisco. Maybe it's both. I don't know. I've never it, been to San Fran. So. I've, I went to San Fran once, but it was 10 years ago. It wasn't quite, it's not the same. And I don't mean that in a bad or good way. It's just... Just different. A lot of change has happened in the I last see. 10 years. A lot could change in 10 mm, years. For sure. You know? Uh, so you're an artist. Yes. Are you? Would you call yourself a painter, or do you have more uh, crafts beyond that? Um, I, I notice you put up a lot of paintings. Yes, I consider myself a landscape painter. So my subject is t- typically of the landscape, of you know, just the the experience of seeing surroundings around you. Um, I've also, you know, I, I'm still I'm still achieving my degrees, so I've taken multiple classes in different mediums. Um, but painting has always just been like the one that I always gravitate towards, um, mm-hmm. you know. Well, when did that start? Is that something you knew since you were like really young? Or is that something you kind of discovered as you started majoring in art? Um, so funny story, actually. Um, my parents discovered um, that I was really interested in, in drawing as a kid. And they actually signed me up for private painting lessons oh. with a local painter. She opened up. She had a little shed behind her house. And it was it was totally furnished. There were paintings on the wall. She had cabinets and stuff like that. It was absolutely adorable. And she'd have classes of about five different people, all different ages, all different levels of art. And she'd just rotate around the room and kind of just like help everybody along with their own personal art journey so you know there's a bunch, bunch of adults learning how to do watercolor oh so and, you were in a, and, you were in classes with adults while you were a yes, kid wow yes wow so like my first day there she had me sit down at a table she had me draw an apple <laughs> then an orange then like all these just like very very basic shapes right and then each week she like you know gave me more challenging tasks to do god she leveled uh, you up exactly so Probably around like the fourth week, she, you know, she asked me to find images online that I was interested in. And usually they were of, you know, landscape scenes of mountains and lakes and stuff like that. And I started learning how to use oils in what fifth grade I think it was when I was only 11 years old. Um, wouldn't say they were the best, but I mean, 
I'm sure for an 11 year old, they were fucking just fine. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. For 11, I think I think I do. I did pretty well. That's a, this is such an artist move to critique your 11 year old self. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying like I only know. an artist would do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um. So that was that was my painting experience back then. And then, you know, in public school, I was always involved in art classes and stuff like that. But you rarely, you know, public schools, they rarely have the money to, you know, su- yeah. supply paint. Um, so, you know, I kind of had like a little bit of a dry spell in terms of painting material. Um, and then towards the end of high school, I, you know, discovered oils again. Um, then entering college, I, you know, at Adelphi University where I go with with your lovely girlfriend, Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> yes. Um, I, uh, you know, learned all these great different mediums and materials. Um, I learned how to sculpt. I learned how to use printmaking, um, to use the, you know, the the turnstiles, the, the pressing machines. Um, but then I always, I always had to take a painting class. Mm. And that's kind of just been always the thing that's stuck. Well, it's, it seems to be your center. Yes. Like everything else is kind of centered around that. Mm. Now you draw plenty of... I'll say crashing waves. Yes. That seems to be a very common theme in your painting. There's mm-hmm. a lot of these crashing or colliding waves. Yes. Um, why? It's actually, that's also another pretty funny story, actually. Um, you know, when I'm wide awake and I'm living, I find such a, you know, a unique energy from from going to the beach. I've always been a, a, a beach girl, you could say. Mm-hmm. My my sand, I call her I call her Ruby Sunset, but then her nickname is also Sandy because she literally <laughs> I I've filled I up like the that. beach. I've filled up the beach in that car. God bless her. <laughs> but um but it's funny because at night when I sleep, I actually have reoccurring nightmares of tsunamis. And tidal waves. And, and, t- like and tidal waves, yes. Yeah. Um, they, they're still they're they're still beautiful, but there's more of like more of like a angry, you know, demonic presence to them, which is which only happens in my subconscious, really, because you know when I'm out at the beach, you know, I, I want to be in the ocean. I want to like, you know, I I I find I see like uh, like a, another kind of beauty from it. So I feel like my art, I kind of used both forces at the same time Hmm. so even though like the ocean is like beautiful i still get like that demonic energy from my dreams and it kind of just like produces these very like momentous uh you know dynamic pieces well the pieces are very alive yes there's a there's a a clash i think it's the best way to put it is Mm -hmm. there's some kind of clash in there now how much have you psychoanalyzed that how far down the (laughs) rabbit hole can we go about this demonic water recurring dream well i i think so much about it because apparently my great-grandmother she was a medium and she actually used to have the same exact reoccurring nightmares i've talked about it with my mother tons of times and um, I don't know, whenever I have one, I, I'm thinking like, huh, I wonder what sparked that last night, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then you know, I've been, I've been indulging in tons of art history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been looking at, um, I've been looking at ocean paintings throughout history, um, specifically English painters like uh, Turner. He has very um, beautiful but very like dynamic pieces of the ocean and well, shipwrecks was, and stuff i was gonna ask who what artist has influenced you the most definitely turner turner yes okay. william, william turner um william turner yes from pirates of the caribbean i mean maybe that's that was maybe that's a little inspiration <laughs> maybe that was for the insp- character yeah yeah probably i actually never put those two together yeah just, just i love pirates of the caribbean yeah, i yeah, me can't too. believe i never noticed um, Might be a little tip of the cap yeah. to the painter. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, I'm also trying to, you know, broaden my horizons in terms of, um, you know, exploring all different like points in history, right? To find influence. So I'm I've been looking a little bit more like modern uh, people, like Eric Aho. He is a living contemporary artist, and he does landscape paintings, but they're extremely abstract. But they still have that dynamic, like. You know, like you can see all his mark making, so that okay. kind of gives me that in like inspiration. So I'm using subject inspiration from old people like Turner, and then new inspiration for like, you know, kind of making it contemporary and and current. And current, modern. Yes. yes. So a little mix of old and new. Yes. 
Perhaps that's part of the clash going on in the paintings. Who knows? Perhaps. Who knows? But I do want to say, I've always been very impressed with your artwork. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I, I have my preferences, and I don't normally gravitate towards landscape painting, but I love yours for everything that you just described because there's a lot of character. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. It's like I feel like I could almost look at them and reverse engineer a story out of them. Yeah. Because there's there's clearly something happening. You know, it's not very often from you I just see a peaceful meadow. You know, mm. there's there's usually some inner conflict inside your work. And I think I think Van Gogh was a lot like that. He wasn't as blunt about it. Yes. But I feel like his style, you know, having been to the Van Gogh Museum in the last, like, I think it was there six months ago, Charlotte mm. and I went. Yeah. Um, but... No, I just wanted to say I think that's one of the reasons why I thought you'd be perfect for this podcast. Oh. I think I think your art goes beyond just the work. I think you really are an artist and there's something genuine about what you're doing. Thank you so much. It means a lot. And especially, you know, I even though I'm confident about like my subject choices, mm-hmm. there's still a part of me like, you know, we're still very young. We're still, you know, developing our mm-hmm. voice and stuff like that. I still like when I get to ask that question, like why landscapes of all things you know like it's a very like you know it's been done been there yeah. done that mm-hmm. in terms of of landscapes so i kind of have to like you know overcome that that obstacle of like landscapes have been painted before like why don't you do something different and new and original mm-hmm. um i don't really see like like that's not like my point for for making art that's not for doing something new i don't know it just it kind of just like it it what it's kind of what resonates with me you know and it's and i think I, i'm very lucky in the fact that landscape that subject is very relatable because you mm-hmm. know everybody experiences it every day um that's why i'm trying to explore not just uh waves anymore at the ocean but mundane moments too like urban streets and mm. you know very like blocky buildings and stuff like that like windows into other worlds exactly yeah, yeah. mm mm-hmm. mhm no, I fuck with that. I mean, I think I think one thing where art can frustrate me is there seems to be an idea lately, like just because it's novel or just because it's new, it's supposedly good. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think just because something is different doesn't make it good. I completely agree with that as well. You know, I think there has to be substance in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if it's it's like I'd rather see something that's been done before, but in a new light than something that's just completely novel but lack substance. Yeah, because then that kind of makes it seem like you're you're trying too hard or you're exactly. trying to just fit that image. It's kind of like, you know, everybody... <laughs> it's funny because usually in terms of like, you know, fitting in in the world, it's about wearing the same clothes as everybody else, the same shoes. Like, oh my God, I have Uggs too. I have... Yeah. Y- y- like that. Um, but then when you enter the art world, it's all about being completely different and like outrageously like weird and and funky and political like there's there's so much like heartache in the world i feel that you know it it makes total sense that people use art to like you know express express that that heartache and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. personally for me my art is kind of just like a time to escape that kind of like to remind myself that there is good. There's there, more to it. I- exactly. Well, I think I think the best kind of art, and this is just my opinion, of course, but it transcends all those things. Like the best art is bigger than politics. Mm-hmm. You know, the best art unites uh, people that would otherwise be separate, separated, or people that would otherwise be divided. I think the best art has the kind of power to unite people. Definitely. You know? That's me. And look, there's there's merit to being divisive. There are great pieces of art I love that have been divisive. Mm-hmm. Or great movies that have been divisive. Um, like the movie Joker, in some senses, oh was God. a little bit divisive for some audiences. Loved but I know movie. you and I would agree that movie is a work of art. Yes. You know? But I think a lot of the time, you know, work doesn't always need to make some kind of controversial statement. I think sometimes some of the best work tells us what we already know. But it's just a much needed reminder. Well, it's kind of like what we were talking about before. Like, you know, if you can like subconsciously feel that passion that was made and like whatever you're doing, that that is what that's people, what people show up for. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, in terms of like controversial art, um, like like we just said, like I don't necessarily do controversial political art, but it's extremely valid. Like 
throughout history. You can, my favorite museum is the Met. Um, mm. There's over 5,000 years of art pieces there. And you can see like all the way back from the ancient Egyptians, like they were making controversial art. They were making mm-hmm. stories and, and statements. Um, even those Turner paintings that I was talking about, those were controversial because, you know, it was it was not really like calling out something that was bad necessarily in that time, but it was it was something different. Okay. So yeah. so that's like what was controversial about it. Van Gogh is very controversial because it wasn't like a perfect exactly. you know, painting piece. Mm-hmm. So um, and then you can go into like the feminist movement in the 70s, like the Gorilla Girls. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, th- that stuff is weird, but it is it is a statement. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's that's just a whole Tell me more about that. Tell me more about the Gorilla Girls. I don't know a lot about that. OK, so the Gorilla Girls, it was basically calling out to all the, um, you know, famous art galleries throughout the world Mm -hmm. very academic pieces like like at the met and stuff like that most of the walls were covered with um art primarily made by men Mm. the gorilla girls they're this you know feminist group of women um and they disguised themselves as uh they wore gorilla masks like full-on headpieces and they would kind of use these very graphic um, they would make these very graphic posters of them just wearing the like the gorilla hats and then saying a statement like, um, you know, most of the art in museums is created by men, yet most of the paintings depicted are of naked women. And like, that's the piece. And I saw a whole exhibit about it. And it was it was very interesting. That does sound very interesting. And I'm, I'm taking it had an impact and it worked. Yes. Yes, for sure. And that's mm-hmm. why it's in a museum right now, because it made an impact in history. And that, that should be documented. That should be documented. And I th- what is it, in the Met? Um, or No, that was actually an exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. At the Brooklyn Museum. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right place for it, I think so. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. No, it's very cool. That's the thing. Art is, art is powerful like that. Like, if you really want to make a statement, if you give people a beautiful work of art to make that statement with, mm-hmm. it, it'll resonate. Yeah. I, I really think so. Yeah. Um. Other than painting, what is your next favorite craft? Ooh, probably, this is going to sound really cheesy, but I love teaching. Teaching? Teaching, yes. Very nice. So, well, what do you teach? Um, well, right now I'm currently teaching uh, dance to students. I've been doing that at my, at my part-time job, uh, you know, getting through college. Um, and then I am getting my degree in art education. So... Um, and teaching all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and teaching something that you truly love and are passionate about is extremely important in that field because if you're not going to praise what you teach, then why even, then why even teach it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, other crafts? Let me, let me think. It's usually that. Um, It's funny because I'm usually like I consider myself a pretty creative person. I I like mm-hmm. I like indulging most mostly in like visual art, and then I've all I've always danced throughout my life too. Um, and then back in the day in high school, I used to sing, color guard. Oh, you did theater uh, too, didn't you? Theater, yeah, yeah, all stuff like that. But oh, so you've uh, you've tried every flavor of Mountain Dew? Basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically, yes. Yes. Oh, good for you. Then that's the thing. It makes it makes painting all the more special because it's not like you haven't gone out and explored other things. You know, it'd be one thing if painting was like the one thing you did your whole life and kind of committed to it. But it sounds like you kept that at your center. And it seems like you've been around the bend. You've done visual art, performance art, um, even teaching. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and you, you still find painting to be right there yeah. in the center, which which is, you know, all the better for it. Yeah. I think also um, just thought of it now, like a way that I find inspiration for my landscape paintings is going out and exploring those landscapes. Oh, I want you to tell a story, actually. I want you to tell oh. a story of the time where you were you went to the beach and you had everything set up. Oh, Do you know, I think you know where I'm going with this. God. I think you have to tell this story. Oh, my God. Okay, yes. So I was trying to please my professor this past semester. I'm a senior, so I'm, you know, indulging in my senior thesis capstone project. <laughs> so, um... She was like, Elise, I want you to make as many en plein air paintings each week as possible. En plein air, for all you out there, (laughs) um, is basically when you go out on site and paint what you see in front of you. So I have to go out and 
scout these places and bring all my supplies with me, set them up, and um, then I just go for it. So I was making multiple per week, probably about four each week of like 12 by 12 pieces. And I usually was able to complete them within like an hour or two. Okay. Um, but one day <laughs> I saw that the wind was howling and the sky looked really angry. So I thought in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, the waves at the beach must be rumbling right the now. demonic presence called you. Yes, yes. So I took out Ruby Sunset, my car, and I drove out to Jones Beach. Um, you know, everybody's... This is back in, like, November, I want to say. So it was already pretty cold out. Still pretty cold. Yeah. Um, so everybody... <laughs> You know, there are some people in Long Island that go to the beach and just, like, walk around no matter what time of year. Yeah. So there were people out, you know, taking pictures, hanging well, you know, out with their Well, there's fans. a lot of people live there. You'd be surprised how many people live in those beach towns on yes, Long Island. Yes, that's They're, true, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I took out all my supplies. I took the, it's probably like a quarter mile walk from the parking lot to the, to the, uh, spot. To the spot, you know, going through the, the, the sand, everything like that. And I set up my, my work. And I see that not only are the waves extremely rough, but the waves eroded a cliff in the sand. Have you ever seen that before? Yes. Like when the waves are so powerful that it actually eats away from the sand that it's hitting and it creates this very like angular cliff. And it was a pretty hard one too. So I said, oh, I, I'm going to stay back, but close enough so I can see the water. Right. So, you know, I thought I did good. I, I set up pretty, pretty far away. I'm starting to paint. <laughs> I already had an issue from the start because all the sand in the wind, it was mixing with my paint. So I had sandy paint. Mm. It was probably like a solid by the time I was able to put like put it on the, the canvas. And I was like, oh, you know. That'll add character exactly. to it. Exactly. Yes. So I was like, I am ambitious. I'm going for it. <laughs> and then... All of a sudden, I look up, and I see a wave coming for me, and I'm like, "It's it's it's not stopping, it it's it, it's it's coming." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" So like, I'm I'm trying to get everything. I, not only do I have all my painting supplies, but I have like personal belongings. I have my phone, my keys, my wallet. Your whole life. My my entire life with me, all sprawled out because I was ready to go. Okay. It's your workspace. It's exactly. your spot. Yeah, yeah, I feel exactly. You. So I had to grab everything as fast as i possibly could impossible to do um a bunch of my paintbrushes got washed away um my entire workspace and my my painting got all wet oh my goodness my backpack got wet i got wet it was and it was like i said it was november it was very very cold that water yeah, was wet freezing. and cold is not gonna be fun mm -hmm. so you know that happened and you know all the people you know, enjoying their day at the beach, just... Just watched. Just watched. They were like, oh. And like, it's not like I was like quiet about it either. I even, I think I even called out for help. Oh, God. I was this, like... This is New York, baby. I, Long yeah. Island, baby. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm like trying to get everything. And like I said, I got all washed up and everything like that. It was, it was pretty sad. But, you know, I still had that ambition in me i was like this is this is what turner this is what william turner had to go through to get these paintings so you know what yes this is for turner i set up probably another like 50 to 100 feet back i was like okay this is adjustments this, adjustments this is fine this is good i keep on going i'm missing a few paintbrushes everything's wet but i'm still i'm still making here probably about five minutes later i look back up it's coming for me again <laughs> I was like, oh, no. And this guy, this guy was pretty close to me. He was walking by himself and he looks at the, the water and then he looks at me. He goes, oh, no. Just like completely. He's like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, my God. Shit, 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 shit. Ah! So, so, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. So I, I not only did all my stuff get wet, but. The wave was so hard that I actually like started like tumbling. Oh my god! I actually started tumbling. How was it the was... dude? Oh, was the dude, just watching. He just watched. He had a little bit of a laugh to him. It oh was. My god. It was. That's... <laughs> it was so embarrassing, man. After that, I was like, "F this! The just the ocean doesn't want me to paint today." Oh no! It, the, the I feel like the demonic presence laid like a mouse trap for you. Like it gave you the cheese. It's like, look, I'm here. Yeah. This is a beautiful way to paint. Yeah. I just smacked you. 
and it's so you never finished that painting i mean it's it's finished <laughs> basically as as much as i was able to do of it uh, most of it is still covered in sand it basically feels like sandpaper just like all different muddy colors it really doesn't look that good but it was an experience it's something to be proud of exactly it's an artist's experience i don't think i'll ever throw it away let's just let's just say that i don't think you should I think I think it's a um, it's a relic to your ambition and devotedness. There's definitely a story behind that one, so I don't ever want to forget it. Yeah. So, when you're not arting and when you're not dancing or teaching dance or doing any of this stuff that keeps you busy, <laughs> what do you do? I love either binging on Netflix because <laughs> that is that is definitely something that that keeps me occupied especially through the nights where i can't sleep because of all those tsunami nightmares <laughs> um lately i've been binge watching I, I watched all of um the mandalorian on disney plus yeah how, how'd you like it it was absolutely incredible um are you in love with baby yoda like everybody else oh yes but you know who i actually like felt worst for was um I forgot his name, but that old man that like helped the Mandalorian out throughout the whole series. Oh, oh, oh! Um, Jesus Christ! I know who you're talking about. He's in the first. Uh, I have spoken. Yes, yes, Quill, like, Quill. Yes, yes, Quill. Yeah. I don't spoiler know. alert! Spoiler alert! By the way, if you've not seen the Mandalorian, <laughs> uh, just skip over this part. Yes. <laughs> um, man, that was a that was a hard yeah that was hard hard demise that was hard that was hard <laughs> to watch. Um. But a hero's death is uh, makes you eternal, immortal in some ways. Definitely, because like, you'll never forget. No them. matter how many seasons of the Mandalorian we have, yeah. we we will remember him. And we still have Baby Yoda we, because, because of him. Of him yes, we still have Baby Yoda, so Baby Yoda will carry the legacy. <laughs> no, it's it's really a great series. Uh, it's not. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a masterpiece yet, but it's it's really good. I don't really watch a lot of like shows or tv like i didn't see game of thrones oh, i didn't see either. sons of Arcadia. <laughs> i didn't see uh i didn't see anything better call saul i haven't seen any of this but i watched the mandalorian because you know i i grew up a star wars nerd you know my family liked it and i don't like the new movies that much um but the mandalorian is great and I, I think it's so i think it's a I, I i have a thing for the the loner and his or her cub story trope Yes. You know what I mean? The loner and the cub? Yes, for I, sure. I have such a soft spot for it. Well, because it, 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 you know, not only are you seeing his, like, extremely, like, independent and heroic and, like, you know, like, he's very, like, he can stand on his own, but he also has, like, a, a heart. He has a know? soft spot. Well, the thing and is... And he won't admit it. He, you know, not he at all. He never admits it. Not at all. <laughs> well, you know what it is? I love... They did such a good job of, like... Because the whole point is, like, don't tell me, show me. Mm. And I think the show did a good job of that because it makes sense that he wanted to protect Baby Yoda. Because we kept seeing his backstory where his parents basically hid him away. They, you know, died in that in that battle. Yes. And then the uh, the Mandalorian tribe adopted him. Mm-hmm. You know, he was taken in by this tribe and this tribe took care of him, gave him a life. So maybe his past influenced his choice of holding on to, to Baby Yoda. Baby he Yoda. saw himself like, oh my God, a refugee child with no parents take him in it makes sense take in the foundling they call him the foundlings <laughs> yes. yes which i i think is great i um i loved uh i love uh cara dune she's the she made the first appearance in episode four she's a, like a bounty hunter kind of just like him oh, yes and she made the settlement yes. she she kind of joined the a team at badass the end. yeah she's great she's a former ufc fighter Really? Yeah, so like when they fight... I, c- I can tell. Yeah, right, with her fight I scenes. I can tell. There's a lot of grappling and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I think that's so cool. I really have so much respect for actors that do their own stunts. Oh, I completely agree. I think it's so cool. I think it adds it adds so much respect, at mm-hmm. least for me, to what they do. That's why I love Jackie Chan growing up. Oh my gosh, yes. He was the best. Bruce Lee. Have you seen Bruce Lee yes, movies? Yes, I've seen Bruce mm-hmm. Lee movies. They're... Who wins in a fight, Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan? I gotta say, Bruce Lee. He's the I, he's the father. I agree with you too. I think Bruce Lee wins too. <laughs> but I will say, it depends on the room. Because if you watch a Jackie Chan movie, he uses the room to fight. Like he'll take the shit in the room and use it to play a trick on you or to like knock you. He's innovative. Off your feet. Yes. So I'm like, <laughs> if they're fighting in a sand pit, I think Bruce Lee kicks his fucking ass. But if they're fighting in a library, Jackie Chan might pull it. Oh off. yeah. Jackie Chan might. Pull I agree. It off. Well, do you do you have a favorite like Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee movie? What's your favorite like martial arts movie? Oh God, it's it's horrible to say, but I can't really think of any on the top of my head. That's okay. 
Yeah. That's okay. It's um, It was definitely something that my dad always, he was just like, let's watch this Jackie Chan movie. Gotcha. So it's something that your family kind of maybe bonded yes, over when you were exactly. Which honestly, like, I really appreciate. Like, another example of that, Godzilla franchise. Godzilla. Like, I feel like I am one of very few, you know, female women who can stand up and say, I fucking love Godzilla versus Mothra. Wait, that's not the new one, is it? No. No, no, no. no. Old school. I'm talking about the old school one with those annoying ass fairies that are like. (laughs) (laughs) No, Godzilla vs. Mothra is probably like of the old ones. It's probably my favorite, too. Yes. Absolutely amazing. And then I saw um, Godzilla King of Monsters. And is that the new one? That was the new one. Did you like it? I thought it was great. I liked the incorporation of all the different monsters that we've. Yeah. The Monsterverse. Exactly. That is. It was pretty exciting. Do you think the reason you might be drawn to Godzilla is because he's kind of a walking embodiment of that like demonic presence from the ocean? That's really what he is. He comes up out of the ocean (sighs) and brings destruction. And like sometimes, the like Tokyo and Godzilla have a common enemy. And those are my favorite movies. Yes. When, when when there's a common enemy, and then you almost kind of end up on Godzilla's team. Yes. Like that, so like that works. But at the end of the day, he's like the demonic presence that comes up out of the ocean. Nick, so. you should be a therapist. Definitely, I think, I definitely think, I think not. He... <laughs> I think I'm just bullshitting. But <laughs> you know what it is? It's like I I just I have such a fascination with stories. You know, because yeah. like there, are, one of the things that's always fascinated me is that if you look at like. Take the Aztecs and the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. These are two civilizations that had absolutely no way of communicating with one another. But all their stories are the same. They're written the same. They have the same arcs. They use the same symbolism. And I think there's something so, like, profound and trippy about it. Something about the human existence. It's like it's... No matter where you are, no matter when you are, the same patterns take place. Isn't it? It's interesting, but also a little scary. History repeats yeah. itself. And it rhymes. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't repeat, it rhymes. Yep. No, it's, it is crazy. It's like, I almost think like going back to patterns, everything's kind of like a pulse. It's like things come apart, then they come together and mm-hmm. they come apart. It just keep, it's just this continuous cycle of things breaking down and reconstructing themselves. Well, you know, that's kind of like art too, art history. Yeah. You can find that, you know, in the, in the archives of different, you know, um, relics and, um, you know the archaeology of it all like you find like similar they they might have a different like style to them you know like japanese swords versus you know european swords but they're mm. they're still swords they're still yeah still big <laughs> big knives that are gonna yeah. cut you up at the, <laughs> same, at the same time yeah you know i sometimes i look at knives and i just i think of swords i'm like what have we done to you <laughs> we have emasculated you <laughs> now you cut butter <laughs> <laughs> you used to cut the flesh of demons now you cut butter <laughs> oh my goodness that is, is a true it, fact why do you think we romanticize swords so much because i feel like that's another thing with storytelling is swords are very present in a lot of big storytelling you know i'm gonna bring in my um my dance background to answer this question hell yes bring in your dance background to answer this question i i find that although you know our our modern technologies of of weapons guns um you know rocket launchers the whole shebang although those although those might be more effective there's something about like the mind body and then sword relationship that will never be able to be replicated through you know standing behind you know a a machine gun that first of all can stand up on its own you just gotta (laughs) gotta press a button and hold it down and be like i think i'm hitting the right spot not that it doesn't take talent to shoot accurately of course, yeah. I did. of course, snipers are extremely talented and well-trained individuals. And feel free, snipers, to not display your talent on either one of us. <laughs> would, be, would be much appreciated. <laughs> very much, but um, there has to be there has to be a very, um, you know, physical and spiritual training behind using a sword because not only are you, um, you know. W- when you use one in battle <laughs> not only are you fighting one other person but you're also defending yourself from your own weapon and the other person's weapon and too. it's about kind of it's 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 at the core of why we call these things the martial arts yes you know mm-hmm. because that's really what they are it is sort of like a dance there's a choreography to being a good swordsman yes you know you have to have good form you need to swing a certain way mm-hmm. so actually i think dance is a great thing to uh compare it to well, um, yes do you like reading at all 
I do I do do a little bit of reading when I when I have the time. There's a book. It's not very long. I'm lending it to a friend right now that I think you would enjoy. That's about this very thing. It's called The Book of Five Rings. It was written by Miyamoto Musashi. He was a samurai in early history Japan. Um, he's like the most famous samurai to ever exist. Mm-hmm. He was seen as like the master of masters when it came to being a samurai. And like the whole book, it's maybe 120 pages long. His entire hypothesis is based around, it's like, if you learn how to master one thing, then you now can master them all. It's like, it's like mm. learning to master one thing teaches you how to master things. So he became a master of swordsmanship. Then he became a, a master of poetry. Then he became mm. a master of other martial arts. And like, he just kind of kept going and he became a great writer, mm. you know? And back then, when you think of like, before education was as accessible as it is today, to become like a master swordsman and like a master of your language. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, bless you, bless you. But to do that is quite a tall order. So I know for me, not that I'm a master of anything yet. Like I'm a ripe 27 year old guy. I got plenty of time to be a master at something. But it taught me a lot about the process of learning. And that that's like the magical process that can be applied to everything in your life. Yeah. It's like the process of learning. Like forget about mastering art. Forget about mastering music. Forget about mastering, you know, anything. Master learning. Because once you do, do that, that first, yeah, it's, it's all over after that. Everything's like one template. So anyone who's listening or even yourself, that's uh, Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi. I'll definitely look into it. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think because there's a... There has to be some part of the brain. Mm-hmm. I ain't no psychologist, but I know a little bit about it. Um, there has to be some type of, you know, um, communication in one's brain to understand, like, you know, you have to get the the cognitive aspect of it and comprehend it. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. you have, then you have to have the passion behind wanting to learn it. it that too, that, that's bit, that last part is especially mm-hmm. important. You mm-hmm. have to want to learn what you're trying to learn. Yeah. At the end of the day. And I think that's the biggest challenge um, when it comes to, you know, the education that we get nowadays. Why am I learning algebra if I'm never going to use it? That's a good point. You know? No, it's, it's, a, it's a fair argument. Here's the thing. It's not like we shouldn't learn algebra because what it's about is, look, there's a classroom of 20 kids. If algebra sticks to one of them and that person goes on to help divulge into new math formulas and solve new problems that we haven't solved, then that, then it, that, lesson wasn't in vain my problem is we learned the same shit so many different times like i I was a history major when i first got to college Mm. eventually switched to business but i was a history major and one of the things that drove me nuts going through school was how many times do i have to learn about world war ii oh my god i learned about in third grade and then fifth grade and then seventh grade and then ninth grade and then 11th grade it's like okay i get it i get it but like there's ten thousand years of human history why do we keep talking about the same war over and over um, it's hard because there are different history is not like a blank template. There are people who are going to be, who are going to be fascinated with ancient Egypt. There are people who are going to be fascinated with medieval times. Mm-hmm. There are people who will be fascinated with the dark ages. There's just this infinite pool of history. But when we kind of bend the curriculum to focus around like these very specific events, you almost lose the chance to find someone who might get fascinated with the Aztec empire and then might want to become an archaeologist and go explore those ruins and maybe yeah. unlock unhidden knowledge. That's know? why I think I also I, I see that in history and I also see that in science as well. Actually, my younger brother he, you know, he, he's sixteen now, but you know, throughout his previous education, he wasn't very interested in science. Mm-hmm. And then he started taking marine biology. Uh, then it's and. Stuck then it's stuck. He's do he's researching probably about 30 hermit crabs right now. He's been taking care of them all year. That's awesome. He goes and feeds That's them so cool. and he does little experiments with them. He's like, are they going to go to the red towel or are they going to go to the red uh the blue towel, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. It's like little things like was, that. Was that offered in high school? Was he able to like take a marine bio class? Yeah. Is that how he found it? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what what you want to go for. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it look, everyone he took that class with most of them probably can't remember one thing from that class, mm-hmm. but it stuck to him. And like, that's what that's there for. That's pretty cool. Yeah. If you could change, if you could change and like, we're not experts for anyone listening, <laughs> <laughs> but if you could change one thing about the education system, what would you change? If you could change Ooh. one thing. Ooh, that's a good question. I think the, um, 
there are a couple actually. All right, give you're, me two. You're, give a, me you're two. asking a teacher here. Let's go. A future teacher. Um, I definitely think the standardized um, elements of major subjects like math and English. Um, math, it's it's a little bit debatable because math is a universal language. Right. Literally every yeah, single. The whole universe is made of math. So that that honestly probably should be a little standardized. But then when you bring in like word problems that are standardized, it, you know, like Common Core, it's all about... Like reading comprehension, exactly, stuff like that? Exactly. So if you're going to... If you're struggling with, you know, reading in English class, mm-hmm. then therefore you're going to start struggling in math. And that's just not fair, honestly. That's a, good, that's a good point. So what do you suggest you do about that? Um, See, that's also a question. You know, like, I, I th- honestly, I think that, you know, the, the professionals out there have been doing all that they can um there's effort going into it exactly unfortunately at the end of the day though it's like those like you know those big people dealing with like the money and the and the funds into that that's those are the ones that are making you know like the final decisions and that's when things get like a little bit skewed yeah you know you could say um also i think um socioeconomic differences in different public schools um, I think that's a big problem, especially on Long Island. I've been doing lots of research on, you know, our Long Island. It's such a small place, but we have, I, I believe, like close to 36 different school districts. Wow. On the whole just, island? On this whole island. Nassau, Suffolk. Yep. Okay. Yep. Wow. It's, it's, it's a lot. Well, I think about just how big my own school district was. It spanned across like three towns. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, that is pretty wild. And... You know, like each town socioeconomically, they, they're completely different, mm. you know, and and there is an issue with, you know, like, you know, people wanting to like move over the border to another school and like, you know, like interacting one and one and the other. Um, some of my best students were the ones who came from families who were financially struggling because they really like see the value in education. Oh, yeah. Um, and like then, you don't have you don't. You don't know what you have till like it's absent from you. you exactly, know? exactly. And it's isn't it? I think it's very sad to like see children realizing that so young. Yeah, it you know, and you know, as bad as I guess I say, as uneven as some things may be down here. Um, I actually, when I was a history major, I was going to be a history teacher. That was that was my mm. goal, and I started uh, student teaching um, some kids around where my college was, and I went to mm-hmm. college in Newburgh, New York. So a lot of the kids I had a student teach. Um, came from a very low socioeconomic part of the yes. part of the state and they couldn't tell they could they didn't know who George Washington was oh. and like as a history major that broke my heart yeah. I'm like I'm like man we can't even get that mm-hmm. you know that's tough that means there's there's nothing for these kids like how do yeah. they stand a chance mm-hmm. they couldn't find New York on a map how do they stand a chance yeah you know and it's never their fault it's that's the thing it's not their fault like I knew I knew who George Washington was before I had any free will and that's a blessing that's a real blessing you know so what you do you is one of your goals to help bring about a long island or wherever you end up a place where we can lift up these lower socioeconomic communities in terms of education most definitely not just socioeconomic but also in terms of you know students who may struggle with disabilities special needs yeah special needs students um I I had the the great opportunity to work at Abosi's school this past summer. Very nice. And be one-on-one with these with these kids who have such big hearts inside and they just want to like they just want to to speak and they mm-hmm. just want to like communicate their thoughts and feelings and like it was it was our job to be the like to be their translators. Like the bridge between. Exactly. So I think that's what gives me like the greatest amount of joy. So not only am I looking into our education, but I'm also looking into special education as well. And I think the two can interact perfectly. Well, I think art has can do wonders for anyone, let alone somebody with special needs. Oh, most definitely. There's yeah. a great like sensory um, aspect to art that that's students, uh, you know. Well, did you see that guy who I think he won America's Got Talent? He's um he's autistic and he has like uh like a speech pattern issue. Like he has trouble speaking. There's a big stutter, but when he plays the piano and oh, sings, yes. 
he's remarkable, yes. like a world-class singer, and he won. And it's like, that's where things like the arts can really help someone like this. Because like now he has a place in the world. Yes. You know, he can play piano and sing while people are eating a fine meal. Mm-hmm. You know, he can he can entertain. He can perform. There's a place for him. Because there's a place for everybody. Everyone just wants to contribute. I think that's what you're saying. Like when you talk about those kids at BOCES who just want to express and communicate, everyone just wants to contribute. Everyone yeah. wants to feel like they're helping. It's when we don't feel that way, I think a lot of depression sets in or a lot of these, you know, negative feelings and emotions come come over us is because we don't feel like a participant or like mm-hmm. we're actually contributing something important. Yeah, and that's you know? a, that's another issue I see with, you know, the whole the entirety of education in our area is that, you know, like the, the standards that are, are put, it's like, that's their only, that's a student's only way to show that they're sufficient, that that's the only way to show that they, yeah, you know, are- that they have value. Meanwhile, you know, like special education, those students, you don't want to say that they don't have abilities. They have different abilities. Yeah. You know, yeah, for example, 100%. that for for example, that that, you know, that the, boy who won America's exactly, Got Talent. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of just like finding those those outlets and, and, and that empower using them, them that mm-hmm. empower them. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, good, good. Well, I hope the I hope the whole education thing works out for you. I think that field could use more people like you. Thank you so much. So um, there's a question I wanted to bring up. I do my best to ask every guest this question. Oh, I'm excited. I don't know if you know this question yet, but do you? <laughs> So there's a lot of companies in the Silicon Valley area that are working on this new technology. And this new technology is essentially going to be putting a microchip in your brain that will replace the smartphone. <gasps> so it's like if if like if we needed to know anything on command, we don't need to Google search anymore. The brain can now just do it. Oh my god. So um it can do things like if you have a tumor on your heart, the brain, since the chip is connected to the brain, it can alert you at stage one. Like it can just pick up these patterns. This is what they're working on. Now, I've brought up many good things about what that technology can do, but there's also questions as to, well, what are the ramifications for putting essentially a mic- a machine in my head? Or, a t- <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to go on the head. Maybe it goes on a wristband. Maybe it attaches to the back of the That's neck. Still, I don't it's know. inside of you. It's still inside of you. You're letting it into your brain. Elise, are you going to do it? Oh, goodness. Will you be chip gang is what I call it. Um, I would like to see different versions of this chip because you I don't would, want the iPhone one. I don't want the iPhone one inside my brain. That would that would I I think that when it comes to, you know, phone usage, it's kind of like you say that I took up my phone right now. Mm-hmm. That would obviously be a little bit rude right now. If if there was not a purpose to it that had something to do with our conversation i'd agree with you yes um however if it was i'm sorry no no i just see where you're going with it however if it was in my head i could have been scrolling through facebook (gasps) i could have been scrolling i could have been snapchatting (laughs) charlotte in the next room hey charlotte um i could have been doing a hell of a lot of other things and this would just be another thing yo that you know what no one's brought that up before that you won't, you can't even, if that were true, you wouldn't even know if someone was listening to you anymore. Exactly. Because you know, there are times, there are people, you know, who I hang out with, who I'll be talking to them and then they'll pick up their phone and start scrolling. I'll just be like, hey, you know, if I'm bored. Exactly. You can physically see exactly. with your own eyes. You can see that they're not 100% dedicated or like exactly. engaged. Which is fine. Uh, but exactly. it's like, okay, well, I know you're not listening, so I don't have to waste my breath. Nothing personal, but you could see it. But now that person, I can't see it anymore. And dude, imagine... A whole classroom of students oh, with chips in their head. The, oh, the, the, the education system is, it's, it's obsolete. It's Fried. gone. It's Fried. gone. Absolutely abolished. I can tell gone. you, I, I am, while we're on the subject, when I was in college, now, I didn't get a smartphone until I think, I think my junior year of college, late junior year. I used to be so jealous, if not my senior year, but I used to be so jealous because I went through all of college. And like when I got there, I got to college in 2010. So the smartphone craze was still very novel. It was still mm. very new. Um, these motherfuckers just sitting on their desk every test looking up answers and I'm just uh, there with my like Motorola like I'm fuck you guys you have an advantage <laughs> that I don't yes and I honestly that's what's funny is like that's how it's gonna feel with the chip in the beginning yes is you're gonna be looking around knowing these motherfuckers are chipping and it's like I don't have a chip 
<laughs> so anyway, Nick, to answer your question, if there were different versions of this chip, say there was like a um, a health chip, a health notification. A medical chip. Exactly. Oh, my God. I feel like that would be, I think that should be the step one. That's This is my, my theory is that's how they get everyone. That's my theory. Mm. Is the medical stuff is how they get us all. Because I know, I know how they'll seduce and manipulate me. And then I'm they'll gonna... update without telling us. Exactly. And then it's... I'll be like thinking about Instagram and or... it'll just pop up in my head. Exactly. Oh, exactly. No, well, you know, no, it's, it's, no. Like the, it's like the domino theory. It's like, well, I'm already medically chipped. Yeah. That's not so bad. <laughs> I, I'm living with it. It's not that different. <laughs> so you just take on the next one. But like, I know how they get me. I'm going to be like 62. I will have like had some kind of heart problem. I'll be surrounded by my loving family and I'll see them. I'll see like my children and just be like, I can't leave them. Give me the chip, doc. Oh <laughs> I need to know if something's wrong. Give me the chip, you know? Like I know that's how they're going to get everyone. And it's it's just crazy. I, I hope, I'm hoping it's not something they surgically put in my fucking cranium. I hope there's, <laughs> I hope there's just like a wristband that attaches to my bloodstream. Like I don't know if you saw Avengers. Like, you know, yes. when Thanos put yes. in one of the stones and he got like the rush, like, oh, I'm, <laughs> yes. hoping it's, I'm hoping it's something like that. Like you just pop a stone in and you're like, oh, okay. Okay. No heart tumor. We could take this out. Yes. You know, Try, trying them out. Yeah. Yeah. You can pull it in and out. It's not something that's just surgically put it's into like, your It's head. like an at-home biopsy of your entire body. Yeah. Well, it's like I used to remember my grandpa had a blood pressure problem. Um, and I remember he used to do, I don't know if you've seen this, where they put like a whole, the doctors do this too when you get tested. They put the whole like Velcro patch on your arm oh, and yeah. blow it up to test yeah. it. And it's like, you know, that's something you put on and put off. Yes. So it's like, just imagine you just, you put it, you put the little chip in your wrist. Blood pressure is good. Okay. Take it out. You know? <laughs> so oh, you're man. not, so you're not iPhone one, but you're open to iPhone four of the chip. Yes. Um, I would say medical chip and then also Landy Lodge chip. The Landy Lodge chip. The Landy chip. Lodge chip. Oh, don't think give me of, any ideas. Think Elise. of all these companies that can like have their own version of chips. That's what I was going to bring up is like, who do you sell your soul to? <laughs> You're going to get the Facebook chip, the, the, the Tesla chip, the Amazon the chip, chip, the Google chip. Like whose chip you get? You could you think of the, the Tesla and the, the Tesla comes to you? Yes. Mm. That oh my goodness. Man, this that's a whole world out there, man. Well, that's what's so scary is like, you know, I think I used to talk to my grandparents as much as I could about like what life was like when they were when they were younger, or like when they were growing up. And it's a it's almost like we're a separate species from our grandparents when you really think about it. I completely agree. It's almost like we're a separate species. Doesn't make us better or worse, but you know, the 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 not necessarily the quality of life as as different as that is, but the just the nature of life is so much different because like it used to be the family had a car and everyone used that car. Mm. Now every motherfucker in the family has a car. Yep. My three brothers, my mom and my dad, we each have our own car. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it used to have one big slow ass computer for the house. Everyone's got a fucking computer in their pocket. That's more powerful than the computers that got us on the moon. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're already kind of part cyborg. Yeah. It's it's a little like I said, it's like we're a different species. So when you when I try to fathom how different things are going to be when we're 70. It's scary cuz you know, like I actually I I watched this documentary the other day about the, you know, the it was actually the Bill Nye special on on uh Netflix. Oh, the Bill Nye saves the world or yes. okay. Yes. Yes. And he was explaining basically the timeline of earthly existence. Where he like had the start of the timeline start geographically in California and then bring it all the way over to New York. So basically the entire length of the country. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, cells creating for probably about three fourths of the way over towards oh, New York. Oh, it's like the amoeba expansion. Exactly. Yeah, for like three and then and then a little sliver of dinosaurs and then a little, little part of New York as a our entire, our human, entire human existence, existence. the last 80,000 years. And think about the advancement in just these past few decades in terms of technology. It's it's a, it's like a spell was cast on the planet. Yes. For better or worse, we don't know, we'll see how it ends, but well, I hope we, I hope it ends after I'm dead personally. <laughs> but we'll see we'll see where this goes, but it's almost like like it's just like a snap. Mm-hmm. Like like so like I I think it Sometimes I think it was just like a big asteroid that just set everything off. Like, have you ever seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a trippy movie. That's a very trippy movie. <laughs> like, do you remember the beginning when you had like the primordial apes and then this like black, like 
spacely object crash landed yes. onto the planet and they all <laughs> obsessed over it and they started decoding it and they like reverse engineered it into society. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really think like whether, not that that literally happened, but something very much like that must have happened. For sure. I think that the advancement of technology has almost been acting like a cancer, you know, like it took a, it took a long time for it to like first like appear and then from there just can't be stopped. Can't, and it, and it yeah. just, it just, you know. Here's the, I have to challenge the cancer thing because technology does have a lot of cons, but like so because of the advancement of technology, our life expectancy has tripled. That is true too. So, so I, I see what you're saying about the cancer. I'm just not sure it's the correct characterization. Unless technology blows up the planet, then you will be a hundred percent right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But, but if, if we if we look at the bright side, it's more like a. I only say cancer in terms of like growth. It, its ability to spread. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's that. I think growth. They just call it a growth. Yeah. It's like a growth. <laughs> <laughs> they think that um. Part of the thing, and this is going to upset a lot of vegans, but part of of the thing that allowed us to evolve so quickly is we started cooking meat. Mm. You know, we learned to harness fire and then cooking the meat allowed it, allowed us to absorb all these nutrients and proteins that we weren't absorbing before. And because of that, because like there's a small window of time, I don't know how long exactly, but our brain grew three times its size in a very small window of time. No kidding. Yeah, and that's not seen anywhere else in nature. So it's like, well, something had to set that off. Mm. And one of the theories is that we started harnessing fire and cooking our food. I see. Yeah, because also, like, heat has a way of cleaning things. Yes. That's why you wash your dishes under, you know, boiled steam, water. Bo- steam hot water, boiled water. Um, that cooking the food made the food so clean that our body was absorbing these nutrients that we weren't otherwise getting. And that just allowed us to grow bigger like biologically in our bodies or grow bigger brains and stuff of that sort so it's very interesting i definitely i'm a believer in the fact that our our abilities and advancements are one day going to be our demise you think so i i do think so well everything does every story has its end yeah so you don't so you think that eventually our starvation for advancement will be the death of us yes because i mean I'm going to be that person. You can be that person. Robots. Robots. But why can't robots help? Why can't... I mean, I I will never say that they can't help, but I mean, what if they become smarter than us? They will. They will. Exactly. They will. They They already are. They may be our demise. Here's the thing. Just because we're not the dominant species on the planet anymore, is that our demise? Mm, That's true, too. It's, it's a different world. It's yeah. scary to think about. It really is scary mm-hmm. to think about that there is. And it's happening. Like Microsoft, they have an AI that helps them come up with ideas and business plans. Because yeah. the AI can think at a rate much quicker than Bill Gates can. Mm-hmm. So they have an AI. I forget the name of it. It's got a cool name. But it helps. And you know the military, the military has stuff like that too. They oh, for have, sure. They yes. have AIs that help them with war strategies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's like machines are going to tr- have already transcended our intelligence the thing that's scary is it's out of our power how they morally develop. Yeah. Because that's going to be the Because there's big a difference thing. between being smart and then having a morality. 100%. Exactly what you said. Well, the one of my favorite quotes is like, beware of great teachers who teach terrible things. Because mm, you could be a great teacher, but teach really evil shit. Mm-hmm. You know? And being a good teacher is a very powerful thing, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure that's your goal. Being a being a good teacher is a very with powerful great thing. power comes great Their responsibility. responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yes, it always <laughs> comes back to Spider Man on this podcast. <laughs> oh, but at least we're reaching an hour. We've already done an hour. It's been fifty nine minutes. Oh wow! It flew by pretty. Look quick. at that. This was a great conversation. This was a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched upon? Honestly, I. I, I think we uh, we made a good statement today. We gave it a we, good run. Yes. All, All right. right. So I want to give these last minute or two to you. This is your chance. Let everyone who's listening, anyone who's watching on YouTube, let them know, you know, what you have going on, where they can find you, what's coming up. Like, this is your time to shamelessly plug yourself. Oh, wow. The floor is yours. Wow. That's exciting. All right. Well, as we spoke about before in the beginning of our podcast, um, I am an artist. I have many different social media platforms where you, sh- you can follow me. 
Um, you can follow me on Instagram at, at Elise Weber Art. That's E-L-I-S-E-W-E-B-E-R Art. Um, I also have a website, uh, EliseWeberArt.com. Um, you can also email me, EliseWeberArt at gmail.com. Um, I currently have some artwork put up right now at the Seaford Public Library awesome. at the back wall near the adult section. Um, very exciting. Um, I'm also going to be scouting out different vendors for during the summer and stuff like that. Um, but this coming semester is going to be very busy with, you know, doing my senior thesis. It's your final, final semester, right? Final countdown. There we go. Yep. Um, right. So basically, very exciting stuff. I'm going to be very busy and I'm very excited to to get into it. Hell yes. All right. Yes. We'll keep us in the loop. Anytime you have something going on, we'll post about it. Uh, any of the links that she just mentioned, you can find in the Instagram description or in the YouTube description down below. Elise, thank you very much for coming on. This was great. We'll have to have you back soon. Oh, thank you so much. All righty. None of that. But something you forgot. See, everybody's forgotten something. You left it out. Just missed it. See? See? And so I can bring this out, what you've forgotten, if I ask you... Who are you? Well, you say I'm Paul Jones or whatever your name happens to be. I say, oh, no, no, don't give me that stuff. Who are you really? Who are you? you